0: Excited about our new series that we are starting uh, today. Uh, We have been doing the book of Hebrews up until now, and we're kind of putting that on pause for a little while um, because over Easter we spoke about our lives being God breathed. We spoke about the Ruach Spirit of God and how as God breathed his, his spirit, his breath, his, his wind into our lives, and man became a living being. We as people became spiritually alive. We have an uncreated part of us that lives eternally, that can know God, that communicate with God, because God is spirit, and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. So beyond the natural, beyond the physical, there is a spiritual element to our lives, which is indeed the core or the essence of our lives. And it emanates from God. It's, it's uncreated because God is uncreated. And, and so he breathes part of his uncreated self into us, and we become living beings, able to perceive in the spiritual and able to walk with God and able to hear his voice and able to experience his love. And so we are uh, off the back of that now starting a series for the next four or five weeks on the Holy Spirit. Uh, We want to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like, how we can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, um, what His purpose is in our lives, and all these things. And the Holy Spirit has been described by some as the forgotten God. The forgotten God, the God that we kind of aren't able to get a hold of or, or grasp in our minds. And there is certainly an element of the Holy Spirit and of God which is, which is just uh, unfathomable to us, something that we can only take by faith because our minds uh, cannot perceive um, just the fullness of who He is. But there are so many misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit, especially in the church and within the, in, in our culture. So many misunderstandings, so many false ideas, so many false concepts and narratives regarding the Holy Spirit and how we're supposed to relate to Him and how we get to operate in His power or be led by His presence or experience His goodness. Um, And so in this series, we're going to talk about four different things. We're going to talk about number one, which we're going to do today, the person of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is actually not just a force or a, or, a, or a wind or something that is not tangible, but that we are, but that the Holy Spirit is a person, and we're going to look at those elements of His person today, somebody that we can know, somebody that we can walk with, somebody that resides within us and is our constant companion and guide and counselor. Um, so we'll look at the person of the Holy Spirit. We'll also look at the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at, at how the Holy Spirit moves and, and touches and changes and transforms um, we'll look at the purpose of the Holy Spirit. In week three, Pastor Mark Hodgetts is going to be with us. Um, he is phenomenal on his teachings of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to talk about the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's job description is, what he does in our lives, how he encourages and, and moves and changes. And so uh, he's going to be sharing on that. And then we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what will happen in your life when you experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, what are some of the things that you can expect to see happen in your life by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? And so that's what we're gonna be looking at. And in week five, we'll do a worship Sunday, a worship gathering, and we'll worship together and celebrate together and pray for people. And um, it's gonna be amazing. Um, We're really looking forward to that. Um, And today, we're sharing on the person of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to start off by asking you if you had ever had one of those situations happen to you. I don't know why this happens to me often, but uh, one of those situations where somebody says something to you um, and you don't quite hear them. You don't quite hear them. And so, you know, if you're polite enough, you'll ask them a second time, sorry, just uh, repeat yourself. And then at times what happens is they repeat themselves and you still don't hear them. Has that ever happened? And then you're in this weird, you know, space where you have to make a decision as to whether you're going to make it awkward and ask a third time, or just be polite and pretend like you heard them. Anybody ever pretended that you heard somebody that you did not hear even after you asked for them to repeat themselves? Um, And so you're like, do I make this awkward and go for round three? Or do I do what we do normally, one of two responses. If we haven't heard and we've decided we're not going to make it awkward, we do one of two things. The first one is that we, with very little confidence at all, say something like, yeah. You know, like no idea what they said, but just, yeah. That's, um, that's number one. The second option is where you assume they said something positive or funny, and so you go, ha, 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 yeah. And come on, am I the only one who's ever done this? You kind of give your your little polite laughter and pretend like they said something funny. Um, And that actually happened to me on Friday. It's why it's fresh in my memory. Um, I was at my oldest boy, Eli. He plays golf. He does golf lessons on on, uh, Friday afternoons. And so I was at his school um, talking to his coach, sitting next to the field. And one of the other moms got up and as she was walking past, she stopped and she said something to us. And in all honesty, to this you know, to this moment, I had no idea what she actually said to us, um, and so we were kind of in the conversation. And so I turned to her, and and uh, and and in order to not make it awkward, I went with option two. I went with the awkward laugh, and I just went, <laughs> yeah. And um, and what happened is obviously the coach didn't hear her either, and so he just followed my lead because because leadership is influence. And so he he basically just did a giggle as well. And she just stood there looking at us, and then she was like, no, I asked if I could get Eli something from the tuck shop to drink. So I was like, "Ah, yeah, you can. Thanks. You know, like, it's really funny. Thank you so much for being so cool. So we kind of do that um, when we haven't really heard uh, what somebody has said. And I feel that when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, people are often left equally stumped. Like, They heard the Bible say something, they know the Bible says something, they know God has said some things, we know about the Holy Spirit in general, but we're not hearing the specifics. It's like we haven't really registered what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And so we, do, we, we tend to, to go with subjects and with content with the topics from the scriptures that we can define a little bit easier. So we end up going with the, the earthly ministry of Jesus or the development of the early church. Let's, let's talk about those things because they're so easy to hear. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people normally give a, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you know about the Holy Spirit? So we we just don't really grasp the concepts, and we haven't really heard um, about the Holy Spirit, and the church often lacks in this, and we miss out on so much of the vital truth about God. So much of the vital truth about who he is and how he moves and and the power that is available to us, the power that is at work within us. And as a church and as a community and as individuals, we end up poorer spiritually for not having opened up our ears for not having asked the Holy Spirit and not having asked God and not having gone back to the scriptures and said, will you please repeat what you said? Will you please repeat that? Will you please repeat it? And I want us to repeat the message of the Holy Spirit and the voice of God through the scriptures again and again and again until we're no longer just giving a polite little yes or a polite little giggle uh, to make the awkwardness go away, but that we actually hear what the scriptures have to say about the God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God and uh, that's what we want to do in this series. And uh, as you all know, God is, is an infinite God. He must be infinite because he created space and time. And if you created space and time, you can't be limited by it. So you must be outside of space and time, which means that God is infinite and fills the universe. And that also means that as God is if it's an infinite God, there can be no other God because you cannot have two infinites. Infinite means infinite. It means that there's no room for anybody else. And so there is only one God, and his name is Jesus, Jehovah, Yahweh, um, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. There's only one God. But we know that within this one singular, infinite God who is the creator of all things, there are three distinct expressions and personalities which turns God or makes God a unity or a trinity that is in unity. And so we have a triune God who is one God but three parts that are all equally God, completely one, but yet three distinct persons that can be distinguishable. Um, Just like you are essentially a trinity in the fact that you have a body, you have a soul which is made up of your will, your mind, and your emotions, but you also have a spirit. And so in the same way that you are not just a one-dimensional being. You don't just have a physical without emotions or without thoughts or without uh, a will within you or a seat of personality. Um, And and you're not just a body and a soul, but you're also a spirit that is is, uh, able to communicate with God and experience spiritual things and operate within the spirit. You are all three things at the same time and, uh, and because we're sinful, there's sometimes a conflict between our spirit, our regenerated person, and our soul or our will. And, and that's where we are sanctified, where our souls become sanctified so that we can become who Jesus has already made us to be, which is perfect before God. And so, and so there is within us still a journey, but God is the, is the perfect Trinity. He is in complete unity with himself and with every part of himself. And so God is this trinity that has three parts, each fulfilling distinct roles, but each part is fully God. Each part is fully God and worthy of our worship. The Holy Spirit, we often think, well, we, we, you know, we worship God, we worship Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our, of our obedience. We listen to His voice because He is God. And we see this in Scripture, how there's the one but three in Isaiah 6, for example, where uh, the prophet Isaiah is in the throne room of God, and he he overhears God talking. And uh, God says, whom shall I send, which is singular, and who will go for us, which is plural. Whom shall I send, who will go for us? And this is God speaking to within his own trinity, whom shall I send and who, shall, who will go for us. In Genesis, we see how God created mankind and it says that God said, let us make man in our image. And then in his image, he made them male and female. He made them. So it's his, which is again singular, but you've got the, the let us make man in our image, in the image of the trinity. And so we have, God, who has three parts, and when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they seem to forget about the fact that He is as much God as the Father who sits in heaven. As much as your spirit is you, so the Spirit of God is God. It's not a separate entity. Because what I've picked up in Christianity is, and within the church and within many different uh, movements, is that people have kind of, and they won't say this, this, they won't put this down in their theology or in their pneumatology or in their, their study of the, of the Spirit or of God. Uh, they won't put this down uh, theoretically, but by in practice, this is how they operate. They operate as if you have God the Father, which we all know about, And we've all had earthly fathers, and so we we at the very least have an idea of what a father is or is supposed to be. Uh, We have the son, Jesus, who was alive here in human history, who entered human history. And so we we have an idea of what he might have looked like and what he did and what his earthly ministry is. So it's much easier for us to to grasp. But then we have the Holy Spirit, and we just don't even know what to do with that. But what a lot of people do is they go, God the Father, God the Son, us as Christians, and then the Holy Spirit. In practice, they put the Spirit as if the Holy Spirit of God is subject to us and our whims or our needs or our decisions or or is limited by us in some way. And and, and the Holy Spirit ends up becoming the one who moves as we command him or is hiding away. People have this idea of the Holy Spirit as being a very sensitive God. I've heard this and I'll tell some stories in a moment, but but the Holy Spirit is is kind of just waiting always. He's like in the corner. I imagine him here on a Sunday morning at Anchor Church and he's hiding there in the corner. And he's like, if they sing the right songs, I'll come out, you know. If they, if one more guy lifts his hand, I'm gonna join this party, you know. Like like the Holy Spirit is, is sensitive, but the moment there's something that offends him, he rushes back to his corner. This is the way that we think about the Holy Spirit. This is the way that we have come to think about him like he's, he's hiding away and, and if we don't, And and if we ask in just the right way, we might coerce this apparently very sensitive God into making a bit of an appearance. Um, And when we say things like that or when we believe things like that or when we operate in those days, in those ways, we clearly haven't heard. We haven't heard. The Bible is speaking to us, but we have not yet heard what it says about the Spirit of God. We need to ask, can you please repeat yourself? Because we haven't heard. When we think about the Holy Spirit in that way, we've missed it, and we've misjudged the absolute sovereignty and divinity and lordship of the Spirit of God, where He gets reduced to that part of God that just makes us feel good during worship, right? The rest of the time, it's God the Father, and it's Jesus, but when we come on a Sunday and we stand in just the right way, then we can feel good, oh, now the Holy Spirit is moving. That, that's insulting to the Holy Spirit on, on the next level. And the book of Hebrews says that we can insult the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, is constantly at work transforming us in 2 Corinthians 3.18 into the image of His Son. He's at work with you. He resides within you. He is the God that you experience, that you feel, that you know, that you commune with. And, and that, is the, that is God's power at work in your life. And then we reduce that to just a feeling on a Sunday morning. We're misjudging him. He's not just the one that gives us warm feelings or shows up to do what we want him to do. And that's why we wanted to do this series, because we wanted to help people see how, as the church, we've often turned the sovereign wind of God's spirit into a gimmick, into something that we work to please the crowd. And I'm hoping that we can first and foremost recover our reverence the Spirit of God, our reverence, that He is in us, that He is the power of God, that He is the Spirit of Jesus, that He is God Himself present with us, tangibly, that He is all-powerful, and that He is sovereign, and that He moves by His will, for His purposes. And I'm hoping that in this we can recover our reverence and also our recognition of His person that he is a genuine person, a personality that we can relate to and that we can know, as well as our belief in his purpose for our lives. So I want us to recover our reverence, our recognition of his person, and our belief in his purpose. And so I'm going to start off uh, this morning in John 3, verse 8. Um, I'm going to do a lot of scriptures today, but I'm going to jump around, and they're going to be short ones. So consider this like... Uh, like the Twitter of Bible reading this morning, and I encourage you to take those 140 characters that we do out of each verse and go and study it out and get into the Word. But I just want to show you as an overview this morning because we could do um, many, many years of study just on the person of the Holy Spirit. We could do many years of, of, of study just on the power of His Spirit and the purpose of the Spirit, etc. Um, but in order to give you a good overview this morning, I'm going to go to John 3 and verse 8. Uh, Everybody got it? You there? I know you're there because you just scrolled on your iPhone, um, and that's really quick. So um, in the old days, I used to, uh, everybody used to bring Bibles, uh, physical ones, ones with pages, so that when your battery runs out, you don't end up in trouble. You need a word, now your battery's dead. Um, And so uh, I used to encourage everybody to bring Bibles, and then uh, when they found the Scriptures, I made them shout out, got it, and then we would judge the person who came last. Um, So... So anyways, if you've got it this morning, John 3, verse 8, it says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, capital S. The wind blows where it wills. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes to. This is the sovereignty of the Spirit of God. He moves as He wills And as he wishes, in the Nicene Creed, which was uh, written at the first ecumenical council uh, in Byzantine back in 325 AD, the first time church leaders got together and made a statement of faith. What do we believe about God, about creation, about Jesus, about the Son, about Uh, the Holy Spirit about the church. What do we believe about all these things? We have a course here at Anchor Church called This I Believe, which is based on that creed, the Apostles' Creed. Um, And and it was uh, formalized in 325 AD and then again in 381 AD, um, which is useless info, but just so you know, um, the Nicene Creed says this about the Holy Spirit. It says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. You see, this was the reverence that they had for the Holy Spirit in the early church. It wasn't that it was just a gimmick or just somebody that we turn to when we want to feel good, or something that somebody that makes worship from average to kind of better than average. It wasn't just this, this, this placated idea about who God was. It was we worship and we believe in the Holy Spirit, who is both the Lord and the giver of life. It's God himself who breathed that breath into our lungs, that spirit into our lives that made us living beings. And he is worshiped with the Father and the Son together and glorified. And it is him, it is he who spoke through the prophets. So this is the, the reverence that they had for the person of the Holy Spirit And so the first thing, I'm going to just touch on three ideas today regarding the Holy Spirit and His person, Um, but the first thing that I want to talk about is the fact that He is sovereign. Number one, He is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He is not subject to our whims or our failures or or our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit does not need us in order to operate. We need Him in order to operate. We're not the ones who move the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves us. And if we have a burning in our hearts, and if we have a passion for something, and if, and if we have a desire to see souls saved, and if we have an ability to go beyond the natural, to be go beyond our normal selfish desires and accomplish something for the kingdom of God, it is not because we're good people or because we're sufficient, but it's because we are being moved by the Spirit of God. Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me, and that is the Spirit of Christ. It is the Spirit of Jesus that is within us. It is the Holy Spirit that transforms, that changes, that motivates, that leads, that guides, that that moves us. And so we don't even make an effort at anchor to try and move ourselves as much as we believe in and put our faith in and obey the moving of the Holy Spirit as He moves us. So he is sovereign. He's the one who raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit from the dead and is the sole agent in regenerating our spirits to life. You are alive today spiritually because you put your faith in Jesus, and the moment you put your faith in Jesus the Holy Spirit moved on your heart, moved on your life, removed your heart of stone from you and gave you a new heart, a new essence, a new spirit and that spirit is the spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that resides within us. And so he is the one who regenerates, who rekindles, who awakens. Romans 8, 11 says this, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus raises us, raises us from the dead. So he is the sole agent, the sovereign agent in in regenerating us and awakening us to life. This is important for us to know, his sovereignty, because in the church world and over time, we have heard so many formulas, so many Tradition, so many ideas um, about the Holy Spirit and how He moves, and, uh, and, and we have this whole movement of people that are like, I'm a revivalist. Have you heard that? Like, I'm, a, I'm the revivalist. I'm the one bringing revival. Can I tell you, we cannot make a revival. We cannot produce a revival. Our own efforts cannot shape a revival. The only thing that we can do is pray for revival because God is the only revivalist on this earth. He's the only one who moves and changes and shapes. We can only be a part of his plan. He's the only revivalist. We can't produce it or make it, but we can pray for it because the truth is that God is sovereign in how he moves and how he chooses to move. And there have been great revivals um, over the, the, the course of history, and I believe in those revivals. God has reawakened, the idea of revival is to reawaken something that was lost and we've had the church go through that and even Martin Luther himself said, ecclesia semper reformanda, which means the church must continually be reformed. Again and again and again, we would lose it and we need to be revived and revived and revived and revived and that is just because we're humans and we forget the gospel and we lose sight of the gospel and God needs to reawaken us to the gospel. But here's the bottom line, is that it is always God who produces the revival. He's the one who by his sovereign will reawakens us. And what people often do is um, they'll go to one of the revivals that happened, for example, the Azusa Street Revival, and they would study the elements of the Azusa Street Revival and said, well, it happened in someone's living room, and it happened when somebody who was thinking this and said this came into this position and said that, and so they'll quickly try and recreate a revival by making a formula out of a past revival and saying, okay, if God is going to move, he's only going to move in that way, so we cannot have revival in church. We need to have re- revival in living rooms. So everybody go home in your living rooms and pray and get some friends and pray because then we'll have revival. But God is sovereign. He does not follow our formulas. He doesn't follow what we think produces revival. He produces revival in His sovereign will. And so we can pray for it, we can believe for it, and when God decides to move, guess what? You know what I want to be? I just want to be there. I just want to be a part of it. I don't even know whether or not I'm a part of it right now. But if I am, I thank God, and He's going to do more. I'm going to stay faithful, and I'm going to keep believing, and I'm going to keep hanging around, so that if there is a mighty wave that washes across across South Africa as God changes hearts and does something powerful, I want to be a part of it. So at the very least, I'm putting myself on the field. I'm in the game. If you're not in the game, you're going to miss out. But I'm here. I can't produce it, but I can be faithful, I can pray, and I can expect it. And that's what we do because the Holy Spirit is is, is sovereign, because He is God, because He moves by His own grace and His own will, because He has a purpose and a desire. The Holy Spirit has a desire for us. In Titus 3 verse 5, it says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, okay? So we know that we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by the works of the law. In Galatians, Paul actually writes to the church in Galatia, and he asks them, how did you receive the Holy Spirit, and, in, and, and how did you come to experience His miracles amongst you? Was it in obedience to the law of Moses, or was it by faith in the Son of God? In other words, God doesn't move in our lives because we're good people. Isn't that great news? God doesn't move because you've been extra faithful. But then you get the people who say, if you don't pray on your knees, the Holy Spirit can't move. You know, if you, don't, if you don't go to church in a certain way, uh, then I remember being in a prayer meeting um, and uh, walking around. There was a lot of us, and we were praying and walking around. And uh, the senior pastor of the church I was a part of at that time was praying in the middle. And at the end of the prayer meeting, we prayed for an hour, and, uh, and a lady came up to him, and she said, The Lord says, the Lord must ask me to tell you that he cannot bring about revival because we're not doing the right songs in church. We need to go back to the old songs, right? Have you ever heard stuff like that? Especially all the old people. We love you. We're so glad that you're here this morning. But stop telling us that revival is going to come when we sing the old songs again. They say, no, the old songs is what brings the revival. No, no, no. God brings the revival. And he'll bring the revival even if we were singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. If he wants to move, he'll move. I've heard a pastor speak and say that he was sitting in the church and this really produces fear with people. It really makes the people think that the Holy Spirit can't move in their lives. He, he said he was sitting in church and, uh, and as he was sitting down, he was praying and he was sitting like this and, and, and he prayed and, and he saw a vision of the Holy Spirit coming to him but the Holy Spirit was in the form of a little child and the Holy Spirit uh, put his his or her hand on his leg and, uh, and at that moment, uh, he kind of looked and as he looked, the Holy Spirit scurried away and was kind of like afraid and he realized that something in him had offended the Holy Spirit or grieved the Holy Spirit and so you know the Holy Spirit rushed off and, and like Pastor Mark says, the Greek for that is rub-ish, okay? Like it's absolute rubbish. The Holy Spirit doesn't move because our songs are great or because our, you know, we have nothing in us that offends him, right? He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy, he moves by mercy. He moves by grace. He moves by his own intent of his heart, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus. You see, the, the Holy Spirit has a, a desire for us. He has an excitement about us. He, he loves us. He cares about us. It's God himself. It's God's will. It's God's heart. It's God's passion. And so when God gave us the Holy Spirit, he didn't go, hey, okay, so here's just a little bit of my spirit. That's like somebody saying, I love you, but here's a little bit of my heart. I'm not gonna give you my full heart. I'm just not gonna give you everything. I'm just gonna say, here's a little bit. Um, What what the Bible says is that God poured out his heart, poured out his spirit, the spirit of God on us richly. Richly, he has been given and provided for us so that we can be regenerated, renewed, and walk in the fullness of what God has uh, called us to. And so there is a desire within the Holy Spirit to work in us and to, and to produce something. And that's the second thing I'd like to show you about the Holy Spirit t- today. Number two, uh, so, so um, number one, he is sovereign. Number two, he has a will, a mind, and emotions. He's a person. There's a law in science, um, one of Newton's laws, I think it's the second law of science, that says that, that the effect can never be greater than the cause, uh, which is connected to caus- causality or, um, and, 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 which, and, the, and the idea of the prime mover, Etc. And the idea here is, is that when something is created, the created thing cannot be greater than the effect of that. And so uh, when we look as people who say that we just come from evolution, that we just simply come from nature, we're just products of nature, um, what that doesn't explain then is why do we have needs and desires that are greater than nature? C.S. Lewis said, if man had no meaning and no purpose, then we should never have found that out. We should never have found out that we don't have meaning. But the fact is, is that we are obsessed with meaning. We're obsessed with purpose. We're obsessed with morality. We're obsessed with spiritual ideas. Even the people that don't know about God want to know, if, is there something more? Is there a God? They don't know whether there is, but they cannot completely rule it out. Why? Because we are spiritual. We are moral. We are loving. We, are, uh, we have a sense of purpose because the God who created us is more loving, more moral, more, uh, more purposeful, and, uh, and all of those things, more spiritual, and personal. So if you have a personality here today, which I think most of you have um, I can't always tell by your faces, but if you have a personality <laughs> that was just a joke. Um, if you have a person, I'm, I'm wrong. Um, If you have a personality here today, it's because you were created by a God who has personality. He is a person. If you have a mind, it's because he has a mind. If you have a will, it's because he has a will. If you have emotions within you, it's because he created you in his likeness. And we've already seen how the Nicene Creed confirms that he is the giver of life. He's the creator. The Holy Spirit created us, and so in the same form, he has a will, a mind, and emotions. Genesis 1 verse 2, I love the scripture. The earth was without form and void. This is talking about creation. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God... Was hovering over the face of the waters. He's about to create the entire universe and, and, and put all of the earth um, in, into its form and, and, and cause the earth, the, the earth to be formed and the, the oceans to be separated and dry land to appear and animals to, to be formed, etc. Um, and, uh, and so it says that, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, was hovering. Now, I want to just focus in on that hovering, that, that word there, which in the Hebrew is the word rachaf, rachaf. The Holy Spirit was, was hovering, rachaf, which really means to pulse or to brood or to flutter. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's this idea of movement, but a pulsing, brooding type of movement. And this is the idea, this, this Holy Spirit that's, that's pulsing. And this word, rachaf, is only found in two other places in Scripture. In one place, it's found in Jeremiah, where it talks about how God will protect and take care of Israel, right? And the other place, we see in Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, and this is the one I want to focus in on, because this is a very clear image that's produced through the word rachaf, is, uh, it says this in Deuteronomy 32:11? it says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters, rachaf, that flutters over its young spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. I, I looked up the word pinions. Like, I understand the Hebrew word, but what the heck is that word? Um, it like means his feathers, including the outer flying feathers, just in case you wanted to know. Okay, so, so the Holy Spirit, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, flutters over its young, it rachafs over its young. And this is actually, um, in the Hebrew context and world, was a very common word, within the idea of the incubation of birds. This idea of the incubation of birds and how birds get incubated and, and taken care of and how they grow within the nest. And so some translations have actually, uh, uh, and some commentaries have actually taken it from hovered to fluttered lovingly. Because just like God in and Israel and, and just like the eagle with its nest, and in fact I've got a photo there of what it looks like, um, the idea is, is that when uh, an eagle has chicks in the nest, and at a certain point as they grow, wants to uh, lovingly move the chicks on and get them to start stepping up and stepping out, the, 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 the mother would flutter, rachaf, over the nest, which basically all the soft feathers that have gathered in the nest get blown away and it becomes a little less comfortable for the chicks, and they begin to get moved towards their destiny, get moved towards flying by themselves. The nest gets stirred, is the idea. And this is what the Holy Spirit was doing because there was a potential, there was a dream, there was a, there was a heart, there was inspiration. The people of God are going to be born. The people that God will love and lead and work through and, and show himself to are about to be born. So like a mother hen or a mother eagle, that's, uh, hens don't do this, but mother eagle. <laughs> We're having so much fun today. Okay, so like a mother eagle flutters over the nest. Kelly, get it together. Okay, it's like a mother eagle flutters over the nest. The Holy Spirit was fluttering over the, over the face of the waters of the deep. And um, that's awesome. And so so I love that idea of brooding. I love the idea of the Holy Spirit. Actually, can you feel the emotion in it? It's not just clinical. Because how many of us, when we think of creation, we think of this very stern, very clinical, very analytical God who just kind of puts things in order? And just makes it happen like a mathematician that's just very calculated. Whereas what this actually shows us, and I love what uh, Robert Capon writes about creation, that it was a Trinitarian bash. That it was literally this party that the Trinity threw because God had been obsessed from from before time about this idea of being and wanting to create things that can be and, and that can know Him. And so the, the Son and the Holy Spirit got together and after dinner one evening, they put together this great display of being and creation and there was mastodons and geese and, and sharks swimming in wine glasses and, and there was just this, this incredible scene of creation. And, uh, and he goes on to say that we all know that God is not three old men telling jokes and throwing olives at each other, but people are not, unfortunately, not as convinced that, that creation was the result of a Trinitarian bash. God, this was an exciting moment. It was in his heart. It was his passion coming alive, you and I being alive. And so when I uh, take my boys, I love on a, on a Saturday afternoon, although now it seems to be almost every day, my boys always want to go into the yard and play cricket with me. Um, I've got a six-year-old and two four-year-olds. And so um, the, the gate that leads outside is usually locked. And so when they have the bat and the ball and, and everything that they need, I, I kind of see this brooding, this fluttering, this, you know, this anticipation. They're like, open the gate, open the gate, open the gate. And I can't get the gate open quick enough for them to slip through and, and get outside. There's, there's this excitement and we see this, this emotion in the Holy Spirit that, that there's a lovingness, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a purpose in His heart and an intention, an intentionality for each of us and for creation. And we see this as part of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have, have depersonalized um, the Holy Spirit, removed him of his personality, of his, and he's just kind of a force, just a power that moves or that does, but actually he has an emotion, he has a heart, he has a, a feeling about you, a will regarding your life, and so the Holy Spirit is not scared, um, he hovers, he's not hiding in the corner, he's, he hovers, he flutters, he, he broods. Ephesians 4.30 um, says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. As much as the Holy Spirit can be excited and can be uh, intentional, He can also be grieved. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit, which is an emotion of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now this scripture is another one that um, I've told people, or I've had people tell me that I grieve the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, if you've been in ministry any amount of time, somebody's probably at some point told you that you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And it can actually be used as a little bit of a tool of manipulation and fear to think, oh, how am I, how am I grieving the Holy Spirit? Did I not sing the song right? Was my heart not right? Was my mind not right? Was my hair not right? I mean, what did I do to make the Holy Spirit? Because again, we see Him as the sensitive God that's just going to be offended by anything that we do. But just so that you know, and this is for free, this is kind of a little uh, side tip that the next verses says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And the verses preceding it also talk about primarily how we treat each other. So what grieves the Holy Spirit, just so that you know, isn't when we don't sing the song quite right or when we're struggling in our hearts or when we have thoughts in our mind that we shouldn't have, ultimately what grieves the Holy Spirit is when the church doesn't know how to treat each other well. When we're not loving each other, that grieves Him. That grieves Him. When we talk badly about each other, when we spread rumors, when we, when we slander, when we, when we don't give people the benefit of the doubt but behind their backs we say things about them that we know if they heard it would hurt them, that is how we grieve the Holy Spirit as the church not by anything else. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but treat each other with kindness. Forgive each other as Christ also forgave you. So he has a a will. He has emotions. um, He also has a mind. Romans 8.27 says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So God has a will, and the Holy Spirit has a mind, and uh, and, and we can, that mind can be revealed to us. We can have the mind of Christ. Acts 15, 28 says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So it, things, certain things can seem good to the Holy Spirit. We've already seen certain things seem not so good when we don't treat each other well. That grieves him, but other things can seem good. I think if we said, hey, God, we want to gather on a Sunday morning and worship you, and we want to share the message of your goodness and your grace with people, does that seem good? I feel like the Holy Spirit would say, that seems like a good idea to me. It's a good idea because I gave it to you, right? <laughs> that's, like, um, that's, how, that's how the Holy Spirit, he has this mind. He, certain things seem good to him. He has thoughts. Some seem good, others not. And then he has a will. He has a will, and he acts according to it. 1 Corinthians 12:11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. That's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, which we'll get into in week four, but the gifts of the Spirit and the flowing of the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate. We often think that if we're a certain type of person, we do certain things, then we can get God's gifts to operate in our lives, but the Scripture says it's by the will of God. It's by the will of the Holy Spirit. Acts sixteen seven says, and when they had come up to Messiah and attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit, and yeah, when they had, um, but the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of Jesus, did not allow them. He had a will. Oh God, we wanna go and do that. God says no. And, he, and this is a great thing about God because he's sovereign. He doesn't have to explain it to us either. <laughs> Why God? I'm not gonna tell you, just do what I do. It's like basically exactly like a parent, like, Me with my kids. And I go, why do we have to do this, Dad? Because I said, so go and do it, okay? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So he has a will and he operates according to it. Finally this morning, he is relational. He is relational. So not only is the Holy Spirit sovereign, not only does he have emotions and a mind and a will that he acts and guides us in, but he is relational, And this is really just incredible to me. This is just incredibly beautiful that God's spirit is not just, again, an impersonal force, but he is loving. He is kind. He is gracious. He is good. He's patient. This is all the things, if you read the gifts of the Spirit, which again, in Galatians 5, we'll get to in week 4 of this series, but when it talks about the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit in your life, it talks about love and patience and kindness and, 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 and self-control and all these kinds of things. Those things are characteristics of the Holy Spirit's person being, being uh, uh, imprinted on our hearts, being imparted into our lives. I heard somebody once say, incorrectly, that you know, the first three gifts of the Holy Spirit are the Holy Spirit's job or the or the fruit of the spirit is the Holy Spirit's job, but the other so many, there's there's nine in total that are listed there, but the other six are up to us. It's like that's the worst thing I've ever heard. It's called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the last or the fruit of the Holy Spirit and, and the last one is self control. If I could control myself, I wouldn't need self control. I need somebody else to come and help me to control myself which is the fruit of the Spirit. Now I can. Why? Because God's Spirit is present. If you think about an apple tree, an apple tree doesn't stand there going, let me produce apples, right? A lemon tree cannot produce the apples. But when it is an apple tree, it's effortless because it's just simply the life that flows through it. And in the same way, we are able to have the fruit of the Spirit and and know the, 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 the relational loving character of the Holy Spirit through what He produces in our lives. That's who He is. Loving, kind, gentle, gracious, and in love with you. The Holy Spirit loves you. We, we, we feel like, let's be honest this morning, like we have to beg the Holy Spirit to move on a Sunday morning sometimes. Please move, Holy Spirit. He wants to move. He's brooding, He's ho- hovering, He's fluttering to move in our lives. He speaks and He guides and He counsels because He cares for us. You see, when we realize this, our insecurities dissipate. All of our insecurities and our fears where we think that in order for God to move in our lives, we have to churn the spiritual butter to eke out just a little bit of a move of God. Now all of a sudden we realize that He longs for us to walk with Him. He's actually the one encouraging us to get a move on, to follow His lead, to trust in Him. And He loves us. I remember a time in my life And I was going through a really difficult time. And I was standing in the kitchen and I decided to make myself a sandwich. And I remember I was still putting peanut butter on bread at that time. Um, And as I was standing there, I just felt weight. I just felt this incredible just gloom over my life. And it's not something that I felt often growing up or whatever, but I was going through this moment and I felt overwhelmed by by emotion, and by what was happening in my life. And I remember feeling in an instant, I just stood there. I didn't pray, I didn't worship, I didn't sing a song, I didn't get down on my knees. I just stood there uh, buttering a sandwich and all of a sudden, and this is as real as I felt anything else in my life before. It felt as if the Holy Spirit just entered into my kitchen. I felt as if all of a sudden I became aware of the presence of God. And as real as any physical touch I've ever received, it felt as if the Holy Spirit put His arms around me. And in that instant, I just began to cry. I just burst out crying and I stood there. There was literally tears dropping on my sandwich. I had a peanut butter and tear sandwich um, <laughs> afterwards. And, and I literally stood there and I experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Why would you comfort? Because you care. And he came, and I I remember feeling as if something lifted off of me in that moment. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always work that way. But in that instant, the Holy Spirit touched me. I experienced the love and the care of God, and the weight that I had been feeling was lifted. There was literally an instant joy that came over me an instant hope and a a faith within me that rose up as I felt like the Holy Spirit put his arms around me, um, a joy and a strength that filled my heart. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you want to experience or know God's love, you're not gonna be able to know it without the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit will literally take the love of God and pour it into your heart. Just I love it doesn't sound like it's it's done clinically, does it? It doesn't sound like he has one cubit of love for you and one cubit of love for you and no 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 you just get half a cubit, my friend. Until you come to church more he has half a cubit. You know like No, this lavishly, splashed out, poured out. I imagine this like an an empty heart, and I see the love of God being poured out like like water being poured into a container, and it's just sloshing everywhere. It's just completely filling that cavity in that heart, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He pours the love of God into our hearts. When we encounter God's presence here on earth, we're encountering the Holy Spirit. When you stand in worship and you feel God speak to you, or you experience His love while you're driving in traffic or while you're praying, or whatever it might be, it's the Holy Spirit that you're experiencing. So, because the Holy Spirit is relational, He's not just a person, but He's a person that wants to know you. The good news is today is that you can get to know Him. You can develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You can, you can hear His voice. You're a spirit that's been regenerated by the Spirit of God, and therefore you can hear Him. And He speaks, and you don't always hear Him through the physical ears. If you have, that's pretty cool, but, but you don't always you hear him speak in your spirit, in your heart, at a deeper place than just the physical, just the five senses. He speaks. He leads. He guides. He loves. He shares. He, he points us to all truth. He's our constant companion. He resides within us and has been given the description as our helper. He's there to counsel, comfort, guide, and help. He does some other things as well, which we'll cover in week three. But John fourteen sixteen, Jesus says, and I will pray... The Father, and He will give you another helper, capital H, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. You know Him because He dwells with you and will be in you, and I will send you another helper, capital H. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will send my Spirit, and He will reside with you. So here's the problem when it comes to an understanding about the Holy Spirit that causes people to miss out. The problem is, is that people have begun to see and view the Holy Spirit primarily as power. And when you see the Holy Spirit primarily as power, your sole objective then becomes to get more of that power. What do I need to do to get power? Do I need to pray more? Do I need to fast more? Do I need to Walk while praying? Do I need to kneel while praying? Do I need to sing more songs? Do I need to take more times of worship? What do I need to do to get more power? Because ultimately, it's not about their relationship with God. It's really about them uh, uh, feeling more secure and and, and being more validated in their own walk and amongst their their peers and and the people around them. And so really, oftentimes, our understanding of the Holy Spirit is so self-centered. When you see the Holy Spirit primarily as power for you, then what happens is that your primary objective becomes getting more power. But when you see the Holy Spirit as a person, a person that has love, a person that is sovereign, a person that has a mind and will and emotions, your primary objective is no longer to get more of that power, but to get closer to Him. You see, the power will flow out of that. But what our objective is, is to develop intimacy with God including God, the Holy Spirit, to walk with him, to hear his voice, to let him speak to us, to experience his love, to obey his commands, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14, final verse says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, are children of God. All of us, if you're led by the Spirit, that's because you're a child of God. And that goes on two verses later to say that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That's how he does. He speaks to us, that we are children of God. So you can know today that you're a child of God because the Holy Spirit will speak it to your heart. And then from that platform, you get to develop intimacy with him and learn to walk with him in your daily life. Come on, how many of us are ready to develop a greater relationship with this person, this God, Called the Holy Spirit. In our hearts, we want him to move, we want him to speak, we want him to guide, and we want to experience the comfort of this best friend, this, this father, this God, this, this this lover of our souls within us. We want to know him and walk in his strength and obey his commands and, and, and follow his lead. And we want to be people that are led by the Spirit because it only leads to good things. Being led by the Spirit. So. In my life and hopefully in your life too, hopefully you're encouraged this morning to develop intimacy, not just with an impersonal force, but with God himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and, uh, and pray together this morning.